a time of maybe reminding of what is going on. But before I get there, let me ask you uh, this question. What troubles you today? Like what issues do you have in your life today? You don't need to say them out loud because, you know, there are some things that we just need to not let everybody else know. You know, uh, now we can sometimes on social media we like to put those out there so we get sympathy. We get people to say, "Oh, but really, what troubles you today?" You had to make a list, maybe in your handouts on your phone. Or those of you watching online on your tablet or however you're watching, what troubles you today? What's making your heart a little unsettled today? And what if I told you there's a way to have your issues that are presenting today kind of fall in the back? Where maybe it wouldn't be as intense, not that they're not important, Maybe you're dealing with issues of personal worth and value. You've been told this week one thing, and you're wanting to know that answer. How valuable am I? Maybe there's conflict in your family or in your friend's circle. Maybe life just isn't going as you had planned. Maybe there's lots of questions. What next? What does this look like? What do I do? Maybe you're in the business world and you're worried about what will happen with your company. Or will your company even be there? Or inflation, economy. Maybe you see what is going on in the world and you, you just kind of wonder, what do I do with this? Where do I go? Maybe there's physical issues. Maybe there's a hole in your heart. Or life through the loss, trauma. Maybe you have a past that others keep reminding you of. You are trying to figure it out. Maybe you're trying to figure out what is my place in this world and in this church or in a church. What am I supposed to do there? Those are all important. Issues. And you have your specific ones. I can create my own list. Maybe even as parents, you know, how do I raise decent kids in this world? Halfway healthy kids in this world. What does that look like? Or maybe some of you are just trying to figure out how do I even live in this world anymore? What does that look like? I have good news. The early church dealt with these same issues. We're not left on our own. Now, yes, there are some things they didn't have to worry about. They didn't have internet and technology like we do. But those questions can be tucked into a lot of the issues that were going on. I mean, issues like, how do I love someone I really don't like? I'm sure there's some of you here who have those things. You know? Adam, why'd you smile at me? He's going to get himself in a lot of trouble today. Or he's going to get me in trouble today. Just so you all know, I know Adam. We have a good relationship, you know. Uh, he, he can handle picking, being picked on. He picks on me. We, we do well. Right, Adam? 
All right, see, so just, I'm not just picking on him. Then I can come your way too if you want, okay? Uh, you know, but the, the, the church dealt with these same issues. How do we love someone that we don't even like? How about that coworker that you really, you may not say this, but you really kind of wish they would get fired? You kind of wish you no longer had to deal with them anymore. You know, or that that neighbor that just, yeah, if they would only get their act together, life would be better. I'm not looking over there, okay? Because I know, you know. No, yeah, exactly. See? Or, as a parent, if your kids would only listen the first time, maybe even the second time, how much life would be different? Or, you know, I know you guys are out of school with students. If the teacher would just grade easier. Logan, was that you? Uh-huh. Yeah, I get it. But they weren't so hard, right? If life would just be laid out in front of you. But what do you do with that person, that lifestyle you disagree with? Or what does it mean to be a to be a loving individual? Or what what am I allowed to do? Enough. Craig Blomberg in his uh, commentary on First Corinthians says this as we open up the fifteenth chapter. He says something like this, and I paraphrase that. That it is as if Paul is saying all the issues of the Corinthian church could be dealt with if the church of that day, let me add, and if our church of today would grasp the importance of 1 Corinthians 15. It is almost that simple. Yet, if it is that simple, let us also admit it is that hard to live out and to actually do. How would each other fit in the church? Which gifts are important? And how do I love one another? How do I love the unlovable? What do I do about my freedom when others say I need to be a certain way? This is 1 Corinthians 15. And I believe it also will give us a road map, not specific points and turns along the way, per se, but it will give us a road map of how we as God's people, as we as the church, live in this ever-changing world. Because I think we must admit, we live in a post-Christian culture and world. This is probably one of the greatest changes of the past 30 years in our world. And we can approach it with sorrow and we must at times. But on behalf of those who are 30 years of age and younger or right around there, I'm not below 30, okay, I know this. We must be careful that we don't idolize a past that our next generation of believers have never experienced. And we must equip them 
and maybe even learn from them on how to live in a post-Christian culture where being a Christian isn't just what is expected of one another. I know we live in rural America, so this is maybe still we would like to admit as part of our world, but I'll be honest with you, the more I interact even in our own little small town, this is not the case. And we must learn to live, to thrive, and to witness into this post-Christian world. One of the writers that I listen often to, and I posted an article on Facebook, you can find it there, Carl Babbitt, who grew up in Canada, lived in Mackastard in California. I read it again, he's never, and he's 60 plus, 65 plus years old, he's never lived in a Christian culture or nation. Even though he grew up in the Western uh, hemisphere. And he talks about the goals of what we as the church need to do as we live in this world. And I will tell you, the primary principle and foundation is this. We must keep first things first and also last. You know, as I thought this morning, 1 Corinthians is not just the foundation of the Christian faith, though it is, it is also the pinnacle of the Christian faith. It is not only what we must face uh, and we must look back on and towards, but we must also look forward to on that. But in an ever-changing world, what is going to be our temptation, our struggle maybe, is there's going to be things that come up that we want to address and we lose sight of what is most important. And Paul starts to enter do this as we open up 1 Corinthians 15. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. See, they're asking Paul a lot of questions. What do we do here? What do we do there? Important things. Like, what is this church supposed to look like? Can anybody get up and say anything? How do I use my gifts? What happens when a Jew and a Gentile get together and they disagree on what is holy and what is not? Who's right? Who's wrong? And Paul is saying, I want to remind you of the most important, the first thing, the major thing. And we, as the church, as our world is changing around, we will be tempted to fight a battle that's important. That is good, but it is not the first thing first. It's not even the last. It's just a battle of fights. And we can easily forget what is going on here in this chapter to some extent in the Church of Corinthians is they weren't necessarily not believing anymore who Jesus was, but they were letting other things kind of creep in and start to take the focus off of what Paul had preached to them. And he says this, for what I received, verse 3, I passed on to you as a first important, where the first thing, you know, in, in, in Paul's like handwriting, when you pick up the original, we don't have his originals, but we have really good copies. Let that not fade you. We don't have originals of Shakespeare. 
And we don't have original except the classics. But, but as we got as close, what Paul is saying here, I pass on to you of first importance. And then he says, that what I, which I received. He wants them to see as it was to be read. Of most importance, I gave to you first. And he says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised to dead on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to others. Of first importance, of last importance, of the pinnacle of our faith is Christ, his death and his resurrection. Period. You know, this is a letter that the way people who are much smarter than I, as they looked at this, these verses three through eight is like uh, what we say, what we call a creed. It was one of the very first synthesis of what does this early church believe? Now we both, we have good reasons to believe that Jesus died roughly around 33 AD. Now let's be honest, we don't know exact years. Okay? They didn't have a calendar like we do where they're flipping things around. Okay? About 33 AD. The letter of 1 Corinthians, we believe, was written by 55 AD. So I know uh, anybody under the age of 18, I know it's summer, but let me, let's practice a little math. How many years between 33 and 55? What's the difference? 22. Within 22 years, Paul has received and put into writing something that was already formulated. Prior to the right. When the early church was struggling with what makes us different, real quickly, it was the issue of Christ's death and resurrection. That was it. Now, I don't say that was it as if it didn't matter everywhere else. Oh no. They were going to flesh out a lot of things because Paul has a lot of issues, even in Corinthians. But I think what he's saying is the resurrection changes how we live. And if we grasp the, the death and resurrection of Jesus well, it will change how we live. And if it doesn't, then maybe we haven't grasped the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's how important this event was to the early church. And he goes on, if you see, if you see about this, 22 years after the death of Jesus, we have a list here of people who saw Jesus. And it's as if Paul is saying, early church, you want to know how true this is? Go talk to these individuals. They're the eyewitnesses. Find them. Find them. Now, we don't know how to, we can't find all these now. In fact, even then, all Paul says here are, you know, roughly 500 others, brothers and sisters at the time, all at the same time, most of whom are still living. Like, test me. Test me. The issue of Christ's death and resurrection changes how we live. It is also, as we go forward in the days to come, 
we must regain the supremacy of his death and resurrection and how we thought and how we live. Why do you live differently? Because Jesus the Messiah died and rose again, and so I'm trying to live as he would live. What do you believe about the things going on in this world? I believe that Jesus died and rose again, and because of that, something new is going to happen in the future. And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, church, if you get this idea through all the rest, if, if the resurrection is true, and it is, then how we live will make a difference. How I operate as a business make a difference. How I give financially and my time and my resources make a difference because of the resurrection. How I can love somebody I don't even like makes a difference because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, everyone in that culture, here's where they had it differently than us, or we had it differently than them, whatever way you want to put it. Everyone in that culture believed in the resurrection. It was just a matter of what that looked like. The Jews believed in a resurrection of some sort. The pagans, as they would say, believed in a resurrection of some sort. Those who didn't know anything of Jesus and God believed in a resurrection of some sort. Nowadays, we're not even sure there is anything after life. We like to debate that. But in that day, the issue wasn't if there's going to be a resurrection. The issue is, is what kind of resurrection? And what does Paul say here? The kind of resurrection he's talking about is a fully physical, bodily resurrection. It isn't just we're a spiritual being floating around somewhere. I don't know about you, but that's not much of a... I can't wrap my head around that. You know, there was because of who's, because of Christ's death and his resurrection, we too will be resurrected. We're not just in this intermediate state with we God. Why Paul can go on to say, the absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And I ask, how, how primary is this belief in the resurrection to your life? To our churches? Do we say more about this than other issues, or do we say more about other issues than this? Not that those other issues aren't important. You know, part of my uh, church background is I've been on probably about every single side of any theological debate we can come to be on, on grass, except this one. And, and, and as we celebrate communion today, you know, do you, do you know that there, there have been more church splits over communion than other things? We can't agree on communion, let alone style of worship. Or worship color carpet. Or fortunately, the trustees this year have even started discussing, you know, getting rid of like different styles of carpet, you know, and that can be contentious. On that, do do we believe something special happens at communion or or not? We believe it's a symbol. I've served, I've taken communion in other churches that disagree with that. The other issue that we struggle with coming to agreement on is, is baptism. Is it immersion? Is it sprinkling? Is it pouring? Is it 
believer's baptism? Is it something else? And we can make, if we're not careful, we make these things the primary thing. I mean, can you lose your salvation or not lose your salvation? Great theological debate. Or, or better yet, in our world, what we debate now is, is, is Jesus coming back? Uh, is there a rapture before he comes back? Is it kind of midway through the tribulation? Is there no rapture or is it coming in at the end? I've sat in discussions where things get real heated real quick about that. And I just kind of sit there and go, okay. I, I have firmly held beliefs. Okay? But they're my beliefs. I believe they're putting in scripture. But see, we can get that as primary. Or who can serve as a pastor or not, or missionary? What does that look like? Those are important questions. But we can have it surpass the primary of first importance. And if we're not careful, the world will look at us and just laugh. Or better yet, they won't even notice us. See, that's really what a post-Christian world looks like, is they don't notice. They're not necessarily against us, though some will be. They just, they don't think of us anymore, as I like to say around here, than I think of the Jewish synagogue in Springfield on Saturday. You want to know how much I thought of that yesterday? Not one day. Do I have anything against them? No. Do I, I wish they didn't exist? No. No more than some of us think of whether or not what our firefighters and paramedics are doing in the firehouses when we need them. Do we have anything against them? No. Do we make jokes about them? Absolutely. Do they make jokes about police officers and law enforcement? Absolutely. You know, why? Because they can't. We don't think about it until we need them. But what I'm trying to say, church, is we need to get back to keeping first things first. We must, as our kids and grand are trying to learn, keep begin with the end in mind. How would that change? You know, first Corinthians is filled with practical ways to make love. It means you don't get to do what you think God to be able to do. Just because you can doesn't mean it is beneficial. Everything is permissible, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, but not everything is beneficial. It means we live in light of the fact that the truth of the resurrection is, going, is, is true and it's going to take place, and so I can live with that in mind. Which means this world is not the end. I can learn to agree to disagree on some finer points of scripture because I'm practicing for the future. Uh, Calvin Clutter last week caught me after church and just know this is a clutter joke and so uh, you know Calvin like another individual in his family can be a little dry in their sense of humor um, you know but we still love you Ron. Um, and there's another one coming up too. You know, but Calvin uh, decided to pull me aside and, and said, here's a joke you, I thought of this morning. And I thought, well, that's nice. You know, I'm preaching and he's thinking of jokes. Uh, you know. But he, he said, you know, one day uh, an individual got up to glory. And as we 
kind of joke about it. I don't know that it's true. But Peter met him at the gate and was uh, kind of uh, showing him around. And they come to this one place and hear uh, Catholics were there. Don't, don't drop dead because Catholics are in Florida. Okay? Remember, first things first. All right? The death and the resurrection of Jesus, that's what matters most. And there's other things. The Catholics are there. Then they go down the street and, and, and lo and behold, there's Lutherans there. Don't get surprised, okay? And, and they go down the street and, and lo and behold, there's like Pentecostal charismatics. You know, and I mean, that place was rocking. Now, and, you know, Peter didn't even know what they were saying at the time, maybe. But, you know, they were rocking. And then all of a sudden, they're coming up to the next one. It has walls all around it. Peter turns and maybe goes, And they get a little bit, and they go down, and Peter's saying, well, here's the Methodists, and here's the church down, and the, the individual says, wait, Peter, stop. Who were those people? Why do we have to be quiet? And Peter says, well, those are the Baptists. They don't know anyone else exists up here. <laughs> we can get so caught up that we cease to realize there's more than us there. Now, I don't believe part of that is true. Why? Because in heaven, it isn't what it isn't our, our old ways of identifying ourselves as Methodist, as Lutheran, as Catholic, as Baptist no longer matter. And if they do matter, we miss the point of heaven. And in heaven, because of the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't matter the fact that I've been married to Alicia and she's been married to me. Because that gets stripped away. Because if she's focused on me in heaven, guess what? She's missed it. Not that I'm not good to focus on. Well, that's good. Right? Not that she's not good to focus on. But if I get there and I'm looking just for her, guess what? I've missed the point of heaven. Because what Paul is saying here, the death and resurrection of Jesus is first, most, and the last thing. And because of him and the grace of God that is now in us, all else should fall into line. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, it does matter how I treat Alicia and my kids and my neighbors, and those that I disagree with, and those that I think aren't making it. It means how I live my life is different. That means everything is changed. That's why I can't go on fits of rages and make them a normal part of my life. That's incompatible with the resurrection of Jesus. It means I can't go and just do whatever I want as if I'm the boss of my own life because that's incompatible with the resurrection of Jesus. It means I can't gossip all the dirty laundry that I hear or don't hear because of the resurrection of Jesus. It means a whole lot of things. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, I ought to have self-control in all areas of life. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, how I treat others matters. I want to quote now from uh, Frank Lombard's comment.
commentary, the NIV application commentary. And if you want two sets of commentaries that I think would be beneficial for anybody to have, the first one I would say is N.T. Wright's uh, New Testament for Everyone. And it's only New Testament, so you only have those. It's very succinct, you did good overview. Okay? The second one would be any of these NIV application commentaries. There's tremendously others. Okay? But, you know, these are easy to read. There are some others that uh, people like myself and Ron that understand a little bit of those Greek languages can get into those technical things. But for most of you all, these would be the two that if you pick one up, you won't go wrong. And he quotes another scholar. This, these words in his commentary. He says, the resurrection, implying the resurrection of Jesus, addresses those who insist on protection and security of the individual institutions and country. Such persons set up mechanisms of defense along economic, racial, and national lines. In sharp contrast, the life of the Spirit with hope in the resurrection does not, indeed cannot, dwell on preservation of the flesh, whether in personhood, institutions, or nations. Rather, the corporate life of the Christian becomes one of risk. A Christian hospital can accept more welfare patients than economically advisable because it knows God's love for the poor does not depend on its continued existence. Christians can call for total disarmament in the midst of a cold war because they know the future of the world does not depend on the survival of their nation. A Christian can risk his or her life because a Christian knows this life is not the end. And in a world where the world is changing oh so fast and oh so quickly. We are going to be grasping for anything and everything in church. I hope we will grasp to what is most important. That Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures. And if we grasp onto the resurrection of Jesus, we will not be disappointed. For it is there our hope is found. Why has historically those who were Christians the first on many lines of, of, of the world where no one else wanted to go, Christians would go. Why? Because of the resurrection. Why are we going to be able to do the things we do in the, in the future? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. And when did the church do some of its greatest harm? Historically. When the church, generally speaking, started grasping on the things that were not the resurrection of Jesus. The Inquisitions and others, those were some dark days for the church. When the church got too close, too cozy with those in power, things didn't go because they lost sight of what was most important. And that friends, we're at a crossroads, not our church necessarily, but as a culture. 
And we will have many things we can latch on to and make a battle. And we may, we may fight that battle well, and we may, may not win that battle, but we will convince ourselves that I fought the good fight. not my issue that I died on the sill. But I want us to maybe first ask the question, is that the hill that is most important? I don't know, it may be. I have very few hills I'm willing to die. I'll be honest. The sum that makes me wishy-washy, the sum that makes me not secure in my faith, I would argue, no, I think I just I just want to make sure that if I'm going to die for something that's worth dying for, the one thing I will die for is the death and resurrection of Jesus. I will die for the sufficiency of Scripture. The others? I don't know. But I figure if I'm on those two, well, it's worth it. Will I die on my belief of the end times? No way. Goodness gracious. It matters, but it pales and lights of the resurrection. Will I, will I die on what I believe as far as uh, who can be called as a pastor and who God uses to lead churches and congregations? No. It pales and lights of the resurrection. Well, I die on a hill on whether or not I believe you can or cannot lose your salvation. No. It pales in the light of the fact that salvation is found in the death and resurrection of Christ. We can agree on that. So, communion. I mean, you all know this. I, I serve communion at the Lutheran Church. So I'm not going to die over format of communion. Okay? I have strong beliefs in this. You know, I have strong beliefs in belief and, and believer's baptism. Does that mean I'm going to excommunicate anybody? No. I want, I want us to remind ourselves to focus on what matters most. And that's why we, we can celebrate you. I don't care. I care who you are, but I don't care who you are this morning. If you can confess Jesus as Lord, this is for you. I don't hold the keys to that. If I hold the keys to that, we're all in trouble. Right, brother? Yeah. See, we agree. You know? I, we would all be messed up if I was the one in charge, wouldn't we? Yeah. She knows it. You know? What I love about her, she will admit that I'd have the whole world messed up. She probably would even admit if she was in charge, the whole world would still be messed up. Me. <laughs> this is it. Why? Because here we celebrate, we remind ourselves of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And though we only sing it at Easter for some reason, we sing this newer song of faith, but because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That's not just an Easter song. That should be something we sing quite often, at least in our own life, maybe. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, it, it, I don't have to worry about what happens to this body. Hopefully, it's only going to get better sooner or later. It may go off here, but it will get better sooner or later. 
because of the resurrection, because of communion, I'm reminded of the past event that is the foundation of my faith, but also the pinnacle that I'm going for. That one day Jesus said, I will drink it anew with you in glory. We sang that song, Is He Worthy? And one of my maybe favorite lines in that is, you know, uh, do we believe that he's making all things new? Do we believe that creation is growing? And the answer to both of those is, it is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. So I hope we will keep first things first. So as we come to this time of 